whilst the biggest risk was saying yes to a totally different lifestyle, a whole adventure, actually, if I hadn't have said yes to that, I would never have, well, say never, I would not at that point have sold my house. My husband wouldn't have quit his job to kind of back my career. We wouldn't have moved to, to the South Coast where all my family have congregated and since then people have died, people have had babies, people, you know, life stuff has happened, COVID, you know, and we were all together. So yeah, saying yes to that and taking that risk has actually led, the, has shaped the, the last sort of six years of my life in the most positive way uh, I could have imagined and asked for. Welcome to another episode of Big Risk Energy. On this podcast, we talk to an amazing range of people. And we talk to these people about risk. Risk they've taken in their lives, risk they've taken in their careers, when they paid off and when they didn't. And on today's episode, I'm blessed to be joined by the one and only Laura Price. Laura, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. So Laura, this is your first ever podcast appearance, right? It is my first ever podcast experience. So I'm really grateful that I've got you to hold my hand through it. Yes. Um, and hopefully have a great conversation. Yeah, 100%. Well, you know, when did we speak? I think we connected for the first time three, four months ago? Yeah, I'd say so. It's yeah. gone quickly. Yes, I think around that time. I know, it's just impossible. I don't know about you, but since... <laughs> COVID I just my ability to gauge how long ago things were just no longer exists I think that's a real thing I've read things about that that people literally time has just stopped and people can't remember when things happened and how long things happened ago so I think you're not alone in that at all yeah and I I don't want to be controversial by any means here but um of the people that I know who are vaccinated, I, I was fully vaccinated I got everything brain fog does seem to be one of the the, the things that has come from that or at least we can say that as we get older and can <laughs> pretend it's something else. Yes, I'm going to blame a vaccine rather than my ageing, which actually makes me feel better about turning 32, so that's good. Okay, well, I'm a little older than you. Um, I blame my children, actually, quite frankly. I mean, it's all the other things I have to remember, like what Peppa Pig's brother's called and uh, Roblox and Minecraft. So with all of that other information in my brain, I feel like that's contributing to the fog as well. Yes, there's only so much storage space, right? <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that really struck me when we did speak is obviously all the amazing brands that you've worked mm. with and the fact that, you know, you've worked with super established household names. You're also helping startups and entrepreneurs. But talking about the kids side, how, how do you manage it? Because that was what we were discussing just before we came on. Uh, for me, who is, you know, no dependence, I can be, you know barely looking after myself, let alone other human beings. How do you manage that? So... I would say it's all about your support network. And actually, I think that's that's pretty much true for everybody, whether you've got kids, whether you've, you know, whatever part of or stage in your life that you're at, if you want to be successful, I really think it's about your support network. Who do you have around you who can lift you up, who can keep you going? Because, yeah, so I'm quite unusual. So I have two children and a husband, and my husband is a stay-at-home dad. Mm. And that was a conversation that we had many years ago because we had been through nannies and nurseries and all sorts of childcare and it was all it was all chaotic. So we sort of sat down and had a proper grown-up conversation like, you know, who's who wants to work, who doesn't, mm -hmm. who wants to take this this part on, who wants to take that part on and I don't think that I would have been able to achieve everything that I've achieved if I hadn't had the cheerleaders in the background mm -hmm. who, you know, were picking up different parts of of, you know, <clears throat> the rest of my life actually. So Yes, having a great support network, people who are your cheerleaders, who want you to do well because they know that if you're doing the stuff you enjoy, ultimately you're going to be a better mom, a better wife, a yeah. better friend, better daughter, 
when you're you know not kind of under the cosh for absolutely everything so that would be my kind of number one reason for getting to where I've got to I think amazing and did you always have that drive to say no you know I, I want to go as far as I can on the you know professional side of things that's something you you know always set your mind to was it something which happened opportunistically you know how, how did that really occur for you that's a great question and I I don't know if I've ever really sat down to think about it I think I'm quite opportunistic mm -hmm. um you kind of you start your career and you, you start in a company and and I as you said I've worked for some amazing global brands and you do your job and then you spot an opportunity and you do the next thing and, mm -hmm. and you grow and you grow and you grow and the I've been very lucky well I say lucky maybe I've worked really hard actually I think women tend to do that don't they oh we've been very lucky but actually we've really grafted I've really grafted yeah and you know every time the next opportunities come along mm. I've thought okay this feels right and so I haven't had necessarily a, a sort of you know, I must be CEO of X by mm -hmm. this point in my life. But, you know, I enjoy the challenge of keep growing and keep learning and, you know, finding places to work that really push me and challenge me to be the best I can be. S super interesting. And how does it feel when, you know, you are working for one of these global brands where it must be super stable, right? Super safe in terms of, you know, the risk element and then taking a massive risk and saying, well, actually, I want to push myself. I want to challenge myself. I'm going to jump ship you know what goes through your mind at time how do you know whether it's the right decision to make how do you assess that opportunity so uh, I'd always worked in-house um, and it, they got to a point where I was approached by a headhunter to go to the dark side to the agency side and you know I'd always thought of myself as like an in-house person I distinctly remember saying uh, you know early in my career mm -hmm. I, oh gosh, I don't know how agency people do it. You know, I was living, breathing, eating, sleeping these brands. It was just everything in my life. And so I couldn't imagine how you know, friends of mine who worked in agencies, you're working with like 10 different clients. How on earth do you find the time to mm. give your absolute all to each one? So I was convinced that I wasn't an agency person, but kind of when I got offered the, the role um, in, in an agency, actually I realized I'm already doing I'm already giving my attention to lots of different things. They might all be under one sort of, you know, group of company, one group company, but actually the individual brands are quite different. So I thought to myself, you know what, actually, I feel like I've gone as far as I can within that company. And now I'm really ready to take everything I've learnt and actually apply it to different companies and different challenges. And so it was that sort of diversification that, mm. that felt like it was the right time to take that step into, quite frankly, an unknown world. I mean, sure. you work with agencies, but you don't work in them. So going from never having worked in one to being the managing director of of a, of a part of this agency was, yeah, I, I was. it did feel like a risk, actually. Mm mitigated by the fact that this agency was you know a sort of listed on the New York Stock Exchange you know a very big global brand in its own right so there were certain elements of that I was like well I'm going to be comfortable with mm -hmm. because it's not that different process procedures that type of stuff mm -hmm. but yeah I felt like it was time to take yeah a bit of a risk and step outside my comfort zone and really push myself to do something different. Amazing and how do you feel the um, transition period was from working with brands, which it's probably more about, um, you know, bringing an existing brand to a new audience or reinforcing that to maybe working with brands who are still in building stage, still trying to get presence, still trying to get awareness. And how much did you feel uh, what you'd learned there was transferable or is it a totally different kettle of fish when it comes to building a brand versus maintaining a global one? 
I don't think it's an entirely different kettle of fish. I obviously specialise in digital communications. Um, so ultimately, you know, you're always looking at an audience first approach. It's always about the audiences. And that is applicable whether you are a giant global brand or a startup. Mm-hmm. Who do you want to talk to? That's always the kind of starting point for me is who do I want to talk to and then where are they? Where can I reach them and what do they want to hear from me about? So that helps you to start to shape your your messaging, start shapes, shaping your kind of marketing mm-hmm. communications approach. Is this something that actually PR is going to be better for? Because right now with the, the money that we have, we're not going to be able to do big budget advertising. Sure. But you know what? We can do some really, really interesting PR. We can get in touch with journalists. We can you know start looking at it from that perspective or actually should we be doing our own content Mm. so can we use social media to kind of reach those people we want to reach so it it is ultimately probably where you get to in terms of your campaigns might be different but the starting point for me is Mm. always the same so the principles are always consistent that's really interesting and how do you assess the social media landscape right now do you think it's more difficult than it was a few years ago more opportunities i mean what's your what's your take on on state of play I remember when I'm saying it like it was months ago and when threads launched yeah and I sort of my social media manager community everybody was just like oh no another one another platform because it started to feel a bit like that you know is another platform that we need to be across Mm. we need to understand how it works we've got to learn another algorithm we've got to get our heads around the analytics okay that's not quite there yet with threads but um it is it is really diverse and Mm. I think it is challenging as a brand because you you could put a lot of time, effort, money, resource into creating content, which, you know, if your audience, again, isn't there, mm. it could be a complete waste of time. So for me, the, the social media is, is so much part of what I do and has been since, well, the very early days of my career, actually, you know, before even paid advertising was a thing. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's, it's a very complex landscape and... It's made to look very easy by a select few, and it's not easy. You can't just create stuff and bang it out there and hope for the best. You need strategy, you need plans. And yeah, like I say, you need to understand where your audience is because of the time that it Mm. can take. You need to invest in content creation. So you're better off focusing on a desired audience rather than saying, well, let's just get as much uh, reach as possible. And it's more actually about finding resonance with the right people rather than just uh, vanity numbers, let's say. You should have my job. That's that's beautifully put. Um, no, it's exactly that. And I think it always has been. It's always been about resonance and it's about, and that actually is one of the biggest challenges And uh, because especially in a global brand where mm-hmm. big numbers, I mean, everybody likes big numbers because big numbers means big stuff's happening. Actually, you know, my background was PR before mm-hmm. I kind of got into the digital side of things. And, you know, we're always about engagement in PR. It's always about relationships. So when I started with social media, kind of, 15 years ago that's very much the approach I was took it's about relationship building and I still think that's key to it today mm. is how do you build those relationships how do you come across as authentic um, and talk to audiences in a way that resonates with them it doesn't always have to be about millions and millions and millions of likes followers whatever if it's not the right type you know if that audience isn't then going to go on to buy what you're selling or mm. sign up to your service Meaningless, exactly. Yeah, so that's really interesting. So in a PR context, building relationships, you mean more with journalists, I I, I assume. And then when you say building relationship on social media, that's direct with consumer, right? Mm -hmm. That's really interesting because it it goes from a one-to-one and a bit dark arts to (laughs) one-to-many and and very much in, in public, I guess. 
Yes, I think that's right. But then I guess there's the influencer side of social mm. media as well, which is incredibly powerful. And, um, you know, it's fun watching some people in, in my world talking about influencers like it's never it's a brand new thing yeah no yeah. one's ever seen it before actually it's pretty much the same as journalists you're approaching somebody you want them to write something you've got to sell it into them they've got to understand it now obviously there is a paid side of that with influencers but that depends if you've got the cash mm. if you're a brand who's you know new to the space or startup whatever and you don't have you know hundreds of thousands of pounds to throw at every love island star on the planet yes. then actually you're going to have to have something that's really meaningful and that goes back to that point of finding the influencers that are relevant to your yes. audience actually does their audience genuinely have an interest in in what you're your marketing so finding those genuine connections and building those relationships are really important that's super interesting i never thought about it that way uh, in terms of the the building relationship with the influencer side and i remember in my previous business um was a b2c brand called real sport and one of our competitors a company called sports lobster had paid ronaldo a couple million to um i think it was provide a review in their app store bio description yeah and this is back in like 2014, right. way before you could really measure the impact of that. And I remember it did, didn't really result in anything. So it's been so interesting to see how the infrastructure has developed in a way that allows influencer marketing to be really powerful. Whereas I feel like it used to be a bit more... Um, wild West. Yeah, a little bit more <laughs> Wild West, right? Yeah. And, and do, you think we're, do you think we're still in the Wild West for social media or is it now just, you know, it, it is what it is and these are the rules and, and this is the infrastructure? No, I, I don't think will ever be in a place where necessarily this is the rules and everybody plays by them. You know, you're always spotting new things happening. Mm -hmm. You're seeing you know, new trends. Obviously, you know, for a lot of these influencers, this is their job and their income relies on them getting these brand partnerships through the door and, and being paid for them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I recently came across something called podding, which is where influencers are kind of using each other's networks to up their engagement. Okay, and so yep. how do you, as a brand, make sure that, again, it's about that genuine audience connection that you're not signing up somebody who, on the face of it, looks absolutely perfect, but then when you dig into their audiences, that's not the, the, the engagement that's coming from mm. isn't necessarily all genuine, actually, people who care. So mm. I, I still think there's always going to be people who, you know, and likes relentless. I mean, imagine having to show up every single day, be perfect, be on point, like create it's that. It's tough. Kind of, I, I find yeah, it I mean, so you difficult. Know, right? yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the hardest things in my job. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, sometimes I'm very happy that I'm behind the scenes and I don't have to, to do it, but it, it must be relentless. So you can appreciate that, you know, that there's people try to find shortcuts. That mm. happens in every aspect of business, right? Yeah. Shortcut to try and find, you know, to keep things going, to maintain momentum. Yes. So, you know, I don't think will necessarily ever have a situation where everybody's, you know, um, playing by the rules. But um, I think I think the platforms have done, and, and advertising standards are doing a good job mm -hmm. at, you know, making sure that there's transparency around when things are paid for, when they're not, because that is really important as well. So yeah. people understand it. And I think people are very comfortable now with seeing people they admire, having hashtag ad, I mean, but it's good that we've got that kind of process in place. So you do have more of a genuine understanding of what they actually like as an influencer and what they've just been paid to yeah. tell you they like. Absolutely. Super interesting. Question that I want to ask you, which I think will be really relevant for our audience here is what do you see the role of founder or CEO marketing content, social engagement versus 
from company official channels. How important is it? How aligned does it have to be? Because I think it's one of the things which a lot of founders struggle with is, you know, building a personal brand, doing the building in public thing where they're trying to be very honest, but then you've got to appear as the polished final product through official channels. How do you assess that? So I'm very in favour of CEO comms. I mean, a lot of CEOs will work with their comms team or a PR agency to help them get profiling in the media. And that's really, really important. But I do think social media plays a big role too. Again, it goes back to the audience thing. Like, where are the audience? And LinkedIn has become, obviously, the channel of choice for this. And actually, LinkedIn's great. It, mm. it is really powerful and it does have a big impact, or it certainly can have if you do it well. Um, there's some stats that we're looking at recently where a, a, an individual's post will get eight times more engagement than the same kind of post on a corporate channel. Okay. So it's really worth it. I mean, people like people. I yes. mean, people like to see stuff from people. It's it's less of that kind of, I'm talking to a corporate wall. So there is a real opportunity for CEOs to lean into that. Um, it, it's not easy to do because like anything on social media, it takes a strategic approach. It takes consistency. Yes, it takes have, all the time. You can't sort of open the doors and then be like, oh, <laughs> I can't. Too tired today. Yes, and that's never really a good trait in a founder no, as well. Yeah. They need to show up all the time yeah. and they have bring that energy. And but uh, you know, it's a huge opportunity to be transparent about the business. So depending on who you're talking to, so for example, you know whether you are a big global brand and you're talking to your investors, FTSE 100s, mm. really great opportunity to tell them things all the time to build that equity story because obviously there are key moments within you know, a financial calendar, your results or whatever, annual report where that's the set pieces. Mm. But actually investors are using like digital channels more than they ever have before. So if you can drip feed, you know, news about your company, things you're working on, the progress you're making, again, whether you're series A, series B, wherever you are in that journey, it's a brilliant opportunity to just constantly be showing progress and what you're working towards. Amazing, super valuable. Thank you for that. One question I have for you. Um, surely the pressure that you're under when you're working for global brands where you are, you know, the mouth in that sense, I mean, must be must be tough. Do you get used to that? Any horror stories you want to share? <laughs> um, is it tough? You obviously get used to it and yeah. no, you know, anyone who's sensible isn't putting although we have seen in the past people who've put interns in charge of the social media channels yeah. and all hell's broken loose or at least that's the way they've positioned it um so you, you're not you, you know you obviously as you step on in your career then you become more accustomed to that pressure look working for big companies means big sign-off processes so you're rarely alone mm. in my world just left your own device to say something this is always going to be a, a, a you know a very long sign-off process for everything that goes out. So, broadly speaking, you feel quite protected okay. by that process because um, you know the accountability is shared, shall we say? Um, but I think you know working in-house means you are very close to the messaging. Mm. You are in theory living, breathing, eating, sleeping that brand. So you've got a very good sense of how to say things, what they should say, where are the red flags. Um, that's obviously more of a challenge when you're agency side yeah. because you are working across lots of different companies. But I think, again, that's why where choosing the agency you want to work with very carefully is important because 
you know, having people who understand the risks involved and having a very open dialogue with your agency about, you know, and allowing them to come to you and say, you know what, I think this is a risk. I'm not sure we should be saying this and being open to that conversation mm. is really important. So yeah, it's about, I guess, relationships and the transparency yeah. that you can bring to those. Amazing. Okay, super useful. One question I have for you is, you've obviously worked on a ton of award-winning campaigns. What is the secret to building a successful campaign and how do you define success? I guess success is defined by the business you're working for, mm-hmm. the, what you're trying to achieve with that campaign. Um, a, a recent one that, that I, I worked on when I was at Blackstone, that was very much a reputation-building campaign. So Blackstone's obviously a giant brand. Um, it's certainly very well known in the US, yep. a little bit less so perhaps in, in Europe and the UK. So we were very focused on doing that brand building piece. Mm-hmm. You know, Blackstone has a very different model to a lot of other private equity businesses. And the investments they're making and the businesses they're looking to invest in are incredibly um, interesting, certainly maybe from an ESG perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, they do some incredible work in uh, the life sciences space as well. So one of the, when we were creating this campaign, which was all about investing in the future of Europe and how Blackstone's investments really contribute to, you know, a better future for everybody. We went to one of the companies um, where they were doing all their R&D in the labs and they were helping to cure blood cancer. It was incredible. It was one of the most humbling experiences of my life you know I, I go and create content and videos and and strategies and messaging and these guys were genuinely curing cancer and that's where you realize when a brand like Blackstone is doing really important work because mm. without that level of investment it just doesn't happen it doesn't happen yeah. and so yeah you had all these incredible researchers just you know they were just some of them were just finished sort of university and they were doing the most important work mm. and yeah it was incredible to to create a campaign that really had that type of work at the heart of it. Um, so, again, I mean, you know, in terms of what success looks like, well, it's your objectives, right? And in that in that perspective, we really wanted to open people's eyes to the w- type of investments that Blackstone were making. Yeah. And I think, you know, we did that. Um, uh, I think you've, you've got to look at all your different channels. You're going to have a, a set of KPIs. That's pretty standard stuff, I guess. Um, but... You know, ultimately, are you shifting the dial? You know, have you improved what you know we set out to Im- to improve awareness of the Blackstone brand? Did we do that? Yes. Mm. We also looked at favorability. You know, we had very specific audiences for this campaign, um, but we wanted to to you know to make sure at the end of it, you know, it was running for sort of nine months. Okay. Had we actually moved the needle in terms of awareness, but also favorability? So. Yeah. Because people have those perceptions of private equity. You know, of, course, of course, of course, yeah. Um, it is quite challenging as an industry for, for lots of reasons. But, you know, had we managed to, to change people's perceptions of Blackstone in Europe? And the answer was yes. Amazing. So always make sure you've got some data at the start and data at the end so you know whether you've made a difference. It's so key, right? Measurability, right? Because yeah. otherwise it's just, uh, it might have had an amazing impact, but unless you can quantify that, it's very difficult. And I think it's one a really important lesson for startups because often they're doing great things or feel like they're doing great yeah. things, but actually unless you're able to reliably understand the impact, it's impossible to know whether it's worth investing again. So another really valuable lesson for startups as well. Yeah. So thank you for that. Okay, I've got a few questions that I ask every guest. I'd love to not quick fire or anything. <laughs> What's the single biggest risk you've ever taken and what was the outcome? 
So the single biggest risk I've ever taken, certainly from a professional perspective, um, was to say yes to moving to Houston. Wow. Okay. So I had uh, got a new job. Um, and I was on my three-month notice periods. To anyone listening, three-month notice periods are terrible. <laughs> Don't ever put those in place. <laughs> Nobody wants to be hanging around a company for three months. Mm. Um, but during these three months, my current, the company I was leaving, went on a little bit of a kind of mission to help keep me. Okay. And so one of the things that they came to me with as a way of keeping me there was saying, why don't we move you to the States and you can take over like the digital part of our North American business. Okay. I mean, that's an incredible opportunity. Yeah, big. It was big. And my children were one and three at the time. So okay. I was like, you know what? They can go. This is yeah. all good. So we talked about Houston because, you know, lots of people move over that side of the pond, not always to Houston. Mm -hmm. We spent some time there and we were like, you know what? Let's do it. Let's go on this big adventure. I'm going to turn down the job that I just accepted with the other company and we're going to stay with this one and we're going to go to it. Houston. Wow. And that involved my husband leaving his job. We sold our house. We packed up all of our stuff and we were kind of ready to go. And then a big hurricane hit Houston. And so about a month before we were due to go, I get a phone call saying, I mean, you can't come. There's nowhere for you to live. Because wow. every house that was spare had gone to people who'd lost their homes in the hurricane. The whole wow. thing was underwater. So uh, we were like, okay, uh, we'll just stay here then. Yeah. And um, the the net result of that moment was that we never went to Houston because we ended up moving down to the South Coast because we bought a little place there just to hang on to while we were away in, sure. in America. We moved in and we've never left. We still live in our little holiday home that we bought at the time. And um, whilst the biggest risk was saying yes to a totally different lifestyle, a whole adventure, Actually, if I hadn't have said yes to that, I would never have, well, say never, I would not at that point have sold my house. My husband wouldn't have quit his job yeah. to kind of back my career. We wouldn't have moved to, to the South Coast where all my family have congregated. And since then, people have died. People have had babies. People, you know, life stuff has mm. happened, COVID, you know, and we were all together. So, yeah, saying yes to that and taking that risk has actually led, the has shaped the last sort of six years of my life in the most positive way uh, I could have imagined and asked for. Wow, that's incredible. That's an amazing story. Yeah. Uh, and have you found since then, have you had an urge to think, oh, do you know what, maybe I would pack up, start again, try, try a different place? Does that feel like something, yes. you know, still unfinished or? Do you know what? The, one of the best things to come out of it was the cathartic process of yeah. throwing out all the junk. It was wonderful. All those things you think you need, it turns out you don't actually yes. need any of them. So um, it, it because we got rid of everything and we were sort of living this slightly weird existence of like we're now in our holiday home with a skeleton kind of skeleton stuff. Begin again. Yes. Yeah. But I've never sort of thought, okay, I, I'm wedded to this life now. Like if the opportunity came up again, you know, I'd love to live overseas and do something. I'm I'm up for adventure. It's it was really a great moment because you think at this point in my life with the kids and school, actually I would be the opposite to that. But I think we're very much in that headspace, you know, we, we're kind of open to it. So taking one risk has given us the opportunity and the appetite to yeah. take more. 
That's great. Inspirational. Genuinely. It really is. Um, that's amazing to hear. Okay, my next one for you is, what are you proudest of? What am I proudest of? My resilience. That might sound like a really selfish answer. No. I, I probably should have said my children. Um, I am proud of them. We can make two edits. Okay, great. Edits, yeah. right. <laughs> um, I'm really proud of my resilience. Um, it's something that isn't... I, it's not a characteristic that everybody has. Mm -hmm. It's not something that comes naturally to everybody. Sure. But I think it's something that I have developed over the course of you know, certainly kind of a good 20 years. And it's something that I am really proud of because not everybody has it. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think it, it's, it serves me incredibly well every day because obviously life happens every day. And I back myself to get through whatever it throws at me now amazing i think there's so much to be said for that mindset mentality because i think genuinely to a resilient mind you can't be beaten they're just obstacles to go around right if you know that you're going to be able to get from a to b to c and know that life happens and things along the way it's just about the perseverance and the time to figure out how to get around that hurdle yeah, right exactly anything you wish you did differently no. And the reason I say that with, you know, um, such clarity is that I am not a believer in the wrong decisions. Mm -hmm. I believe every decision you make is the right one at that time. You can't make a wrong decision because at the time you weighed it up. And I'm a Libra, by the way, for anybody who's listening, ah, who's too. in. OK, so, you know, um, as Librans, we are very good at pros and cons mm -hmm. and we balance everything. And so for me personally, I there is no, I haven't made any wrong decisions. They were the right decisions at that exact moment. So if I'd have made a, if, yeah, I wouldn't have done anything differently because I feel like I've always made the right decisions at the right moment. That's great. And ultimately we wouldn't be where we are today without them. Exactly. And I, I actually me and Kobe were talking about this earlier today. I genuinely believe that what at the time might feel like the worst decisions we've ever made will ultimately become the best because they're always tied to an end or getting something wrong and destroying an opportunity, a whatever a relationship, whatever it might be, ultimately opens the doors to growth and so many more opportunities. So I, I totally agree with you on that one. Yeah, I think the universe has a plan. Yes. And sometimes you don't always know what the plan is. And sometimes things happen where you're like, just why? Mm. I just don't understand why this is happening to me at this time. But you sort of have to have faith. And that might be religion, it might not be, but faith is so important that actually the universe will see you right. Yes. You're a good human, it'll see you right. And yeah. actually, ultimately, as you say, another door will open and then you look back and you'll be like, ah, yeah. that's why I went through that at the time. And I think the point you make about being a good human is so key because genuinely um, the energy you put out is the energy you'll get back. Yeah. And I agree, you know, you when you go through those tough moments, being able to stay forgiving being able to stay open-minded being able to stay positive will serve you so well and things will come your way yeah. um and then these are the sorts of messages that we love to get out <laughs> from this podcast absolutely okay my last one for you is 15 year old laura walks in the room right now what are you telling her okay laura's walked in listen more <laughs> um i feel like i was one of those kids i'm still one of those kids who has got an opinion on pretty much everything and uh I, but i think i i should have listened more because you know 
I've, I've learned over the years to not jump in with everything that I want to say first, um, because actually by listening for longer, it might change what you thought your opinion was. Mm. So, yes, I think my 15-year-old self would benefit greatly from somebody just saying, just slow down, listen to someone else, then come up with your... Because I think quickly my brain works in overdrive. And I see, you know, even now it's something I actively tell myself every day. Like we're in brainstorms, we're in account team meetings and I got something to say and I hold myself back. I'm like, just wait, just wait. Because you have to think you might, your brain's gone there, but just hear what other people have got to say because your brain might go a different way. Yeah. So yes, that would definitely be my advice to myself. It's great advice. And I think there is so much to be said about trying to stay present, especially with a busy mind where, you know, it's excitement. It's, you know, great intentions of wanting to get it all out. But yes, as you said, you know, it's uh, and it's always an interesting challenge for me on the podcast. It's like, especially with ADHD, it's like, oh, that was an amazing point. There's something I really want to say. And I know I will probably forget it. But you're right. As the point goes on, it might change. change. Uh, Nora, thank you so much. Anything you want to plug? Where can people find you? Uh, well, so I'm a partner, as you said, at Pagefield. We are an integrated communications agency based in Soho. We work across all different sectors. So uh, if anybody needs any help with their PR, their political engagement or some social media, give me a shout. Amazing. Laura, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for watching the episode. And if you haven't subscribed, please hit subscribe below so that you can support the podcast and we can keep on bringing you amazing new guests. If you want to see the other amazing episodes in this podcast, click into our series section. As ever, if there are any other guests or topics you want us to explore, just let me know in the comments and we'll do our best to bring someone in.